Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. I'm Andrew Decker. Normally, I don't do the intro. Yeah, you you like enunciated it really well. Well, way to go. I, well, I just finished a trial, so I've been using my good speaking voice. Yeah, I can right? tell. It's not. Yeah, it's it came, resonating. It, it, the voice resonates, but we still came in second place. The argument place. didn't. Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's, that's right. Sucks, uh, way to give them hell, though. Yeah, I did. It was. Yeah, it was rough. Um, you know, that's our, nobody ever promised us a victory in every case, but no, still no. stepped up to the plate. And that's really, uh, you know, that, that's it, really, it is, it is one, you know, we talk about pieces of advice. I was told very early on, uh, by Mark Daniel, you have to be comfortable coming in second place. I see you name but, dropping, but always, you know, but he always fights like he's going to come in first. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that, that's all you can do. Of course we can't, we can't change the facts we can't. Well, you you can only control your own performance, your own preparation, etc. Right? right. I mean, right. And 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 I can say that I did everything I could legally. Um, before yeah. lunch, I thought we had a shot. After lunch, I knew that door had closed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of those. Man, so, that's rough. But we are but back in here. the office. We we're are. Here. We're here, and I'm glad trial is over, and I'm glad to be yeah. here. Um, last time we, uh, talked about motions to suppress and, and it was just the two of us and, uh, Andrew interviewed me today. We're going to talk about the juvenile justice code a little bit. Um, Andrew, yeah. you handle some juvenile cases. Yeah. Yeah. So to just wanted to, to clarify, to be clear, I am no juvenile justice code expert. Um, I do know where it's located. And so what today's, uh, the purpose of today, I know a lot of our defenders also take, uh, appointments on juvenile cases, especially right. in, you know, some of these smaller counties, they uh, really need, they really attorneys. need to help. Right. Yeah. And, right. and these, and, and not only that, like the courts need to help, but these children really need help. Right. They, I don't, really I don't take do. appointments on juvenile cases, but I do, uh, I do have kind of always two or three juvenile cases, um, working, uh, lots of them are things that happen at school. Yep. Um, uh, they, they got in trouble for basically playing with a gun. Um, yeah. you know, it, it deadly conduct kind of, uh, they weren't trying to do anything illegal, but. Right. And so that's, that's kind of what we'll see too. And, and we'll get into it, but, um, but, but yeah, so the, the juvenile justice code is actually like a pretty wide ranging code and it is contained within the family code. So if you're like, I've never seen that in the penal code or code of it's criminal not procedure, it's not there. And so that's that's a funny thing about the juvenile just uh, about juvenile cases is you're really trying to synthesize three different codes: the Title Three of the Family Code, the Code of Criminal Procedure, the Penal Code, and maybe even a fourth, like the Code of you know, or the the Rules of Evidence or whatever. But but really those three primarily, um, because it does get very confusing. Uh, it's not as straightforward, I think, if you're used to just doing adults over and over and over again. So we're just going to go brief. This is a brief overview of the juvenile justice code. Right. As always, we're not trying to give you a full on like how to handle a juvenile case. We're trying right. to remind you of some of the highlights um, of things that we found um, in handling these cases ourselves. We're, we're, I, I promise you, I will miss some very important information that's contained within the code. But hopefully you have a better understanding of where to find these specific um, answers uh, to the questions that you have. All right. So so we're starting just to back up a little bit. Title three of the family code is basically the juvenile justice code. Yes. Um, what are what are some of the highlights? 
Yeah. Okay. So, so just briefly, let's just start at the very beginning. Chapter 51, um, just starts off like what, you know, the, with the definitions, what is a child? What is, you know, um, a, a, a non-offender? What is a status offender, et cetera? So basically let's start with 5102. That's where you'll find the definitions. And remember, these are like where you can find some helpful terms. I think it's important to remember that the um, cases, even though this is a, you know, criminal related type subject, you, you are not dealing with criminal defendants. Um, when these juveniles are in court and charged with a crime, they are respondents. This is a more like a civil uh, proceeding than anything else. Okay. So, uh, a and, child- often, and often when you come in very informal feeling. Oh yeah. Yeah. Comparative very, to, to, uh, most criminal. Very, cases. very informal. I know like most of the judges I've, um, uh, appeared in front of, you know, they even sit down like with the, with the child and, and say, this is what we have on this petition as your name, but what do you go by? What is your, you know, do you have a nickname or, you know, and, and, uh, and I think it's just really trying to one, get on the same level as the child, make the child a little bit more comfortable, but also, you know, kind of relating, like, this is a very serious thing without being, you know, traumatic to a particular child. So, um, you know, a child, uh, first off, we're dealing with, um, individuals aged 10 to 17, though you can, uh, be in the, uh, a juvenile court over your 17th birthday, so long as you're younger than 18. So child is defined as 10 to 17, and then could be over the age of 17 and under some specific circumstances. Um, the guilt innocence phase is not, you're not finding a, a child guilty of an offense. Um, the, the court's, uh, duty, uh, I guess, or their standard is to find the allegations true or not true. So if you've worked out a deal with a prosecutor on a juvenile case, the, the child is not pleading guilty. They're pleading true. So the guilt innocence phase is called the adjudication phase. We are adjudicating the allegations in the petition. And then if the child is adjudicated, the allegations are found true. We don't proceed on to a punishment phase. Right. Okay. We, we proceed on to a disposition phase. So we have adjudication disposition, and sometimes those are in the very same docket, but they are two separate hearings. You'll, you'll notice if you handle any juvenile cases, a judge after taking a plea of true will, um, will close the adjudication phase and then open the disposition phase and start the process all over again. You know, prosecutor is here, the, the child is here, respondents here with respondents, attorney, et cetera. Um, it's also pretty interesting too, that you, the, the children, like a juvenile court can have jurisdiction over a case, even when the respondent or the child has not committed what would be a crime if they were an adult. Okay, explain that. So yeah, because so, the ones I've handled all would be crimes. Yeah, had they've been an adult. Well, right. So still, you know that that would be. We'll get into like chapter fifty one hundred three delinquent conduct versus uh, a petition alleging conduct indicating a need for supervision. But um, we can have you know the the court can have jurisdiction over what we call uh, non offenders. So they're either um, you know somebody who's in front of a juvenile court for reasons other than legally prohibited conduct. Think of somebody who's 
um, uh, being abuse, uh, being abused or abusive or uh, maybe not abusive, but somebody who is uh, in court for deportation purposes, something along those lines. So they haven't really violated um, a penal code section. They're okay. They're just existing. All right. So yeah, I'm not sure I understand, but okay. I'm going to trust you on that. Yeah. Because, because the ones I've handled have mostly been the the kid got in a fight. Um, Again, they, they, deadly conduct they were firing a firearm sometimes with a with an adult around but it was only the kid and and they're shooting in a direction that just wasn't safe yeah um well those are all yeah those are those are all violations of of the penal uh, code code. right but think about think about this right so um i'll i'll just read subsection 8a which non-offender means a child who is subject to jurisdiction of a court under abuse dependency or neglect statutes under Title V of the Family Code for reasons other than legally prohibited conduct of the child. All right. So the so basically the child is is before the court because, for lack of a better term, they're probably an IP. Yeah. They're, uh, they're the, more of an injured party than, than a... Injured than, party or like they, there's some sort of like dual status, which is also another term here, which means they are subject to a suit affecting the parent-child relationship. Okay. Uh, okay. Something along those. So we're getting to like CPS grounds. But, um, but, but the other, the flip side to that is a status offender. So, um, so a non-offender is somebody who, you know, basically is just there for, you know, deportation or whatever family code stuff, status offender. This is, excuse me, this is accused of conduct that is not illegal for an adult. Okay. So like running away, right. An adult is not going to be, they have freedom of movement, um, violations of standards of student conduct. So people who are uh, ch- uh, students who have been expelled can be referred to a juvenile court. Um, curfew orders, you know, violation of curfew. So those are, that's a, what we call a status offender. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So moving on to uh, the very next section, delinquent conduct versus conduct indicating a need for supervision. So um, you know, those are two different things. And in your petition, the the heading on the petition should tell you what you are dealing with. It's not just going to say, you know, juvenile petition. It'll say something like petition alleging delinquent conduct or petition alleging juvenile engaged in delinquent conduct. Correct. Or petition alleging um, juvenile engaged in conduct uh, indicating a need for supervision. And sometimes you'll have one that has both. Which you can't, it's yeah, not, it's not really on, unusual depending on the facts of that specific case. I mean, they could, they could have engaged in behavior in both, in both, um, subsections. So, um, delinquent conduct is conduct other than a traffic offense that violates a penal code of the state of Texas or the United States punishable by imprisonment or confinement in jail. Okay. So, um, we're talking like on the adult side, class B, class A, or any degree of felony. Okay. Right. All right. So the flip side of that conduct indicating a need for supervision that they violate the penal laws of this state that are punishable by fine only or ordinances, um, running away, uh, curfew violations, school expulsion. Okay, so so uh, so they're borderline. They haven't done anything illegal yet, but but it indicates that 
that they are they are quickly becoming becoming problematic. Well, problematic or they're engaging behavior that's unsafe to them or unsafe right. to the community, right? Yeah. So children That's what I meant by problematic, right? Children yeah. need supervision, right? So they're engaging in conduct. I need supervision. Well, Oh, wait, sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> kind of we're kind of past that point. Um <laughs> So, so right. Yeah. I mean, just think about it. If we have, if, if children are running away, they're, they're not obeying their parents or maybe their parents can't provide adequate supervision. Um, then the state has said through the juvenile justice code, we need to, we need to provide this supervision for them. Right. And, And let's be honest when we're talking about, you know, it says child, but when you start talking about an adolescent, 14, 15, 16 years old, and they're now, especially if it's a male, often bigger and stronger than mom flat out. Right. And yeah, maybe as big and strong as dad is, depending on, you know, lots of factors. There's the idea that, that you're just going to just tell them, go to your room and they're going to do it is not automatic. Right. Yeah. And, and that becomes very difficult. It was only well after I was out of high school and out of college. My dad looked at me one time and he said, he goes, you were in high school, you were exercising, you were playing football, you were working out. And he goes, and you bowed up to me one day. And he, and he, and my dad said, and I had a thought of if Andrew hits me, I'm not going to win. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's probably good. I didn't know that at 16, <laughs> <laughs> but, right. but that's you, you end up with a kid that, can run away, violate curfew, uh, break school rules, and mom and dad, not out of, maybe not out of neglect, have, have lost control. Yeah, it, you know, I mean, that's true. Physically, you know, could be, you know, the size of a full-grown adult. Uh, mentally, emotionally, absolutely not. And remember, you know, at those, those sensitive teenage years up through for men, think like 21, 25, something like that. The hormones in their brain are, you know, they just make them crazy people. I remember that age. Right. I, I was oftentimes uncontrollable, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, yeah. just can't it, color inside the lines sometimes. Can't. can't. Yeah. So we completely understand. Okay. So okay. Mo- moving on to the next piece. So, so the, the law recognizes there's a difference between those two types of conduct, right? Delinquent conduct, you know, violating a penal code where that could land you in imprisonment or in jail, um, or you're violating ordinances, running away, curfew stuff, all that. So, um, which I think is like, I, I think that's, that provides some pretty good foresight on the part of the legislature. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. I just gave the legislature a compliment. What? what? I know. All right. So <clears throat> this is pretty interesting. 51095 um, talks about uh, statements of children and basically like when a statement of a child will be admissible, right? So just think, think like in the, in the adult context, um, you know, Miranda, um, some of the provisions and protections that people have um, whenever they are arrested, being interrogated, all that kind of stuff. So this too applies for custodial interrogation. Um, specifically notes in this, sub, in this section um, when it does not apply. So if you do have a statement on one of your juvenile cases, make sure you're reading 51095 because if this is custodial interrogation, 
Um, there are some very specific rules that the state must meet before that is admitted against them. So, um, okay, so specifically, you have a child who has been detained um, before they are uh, uh, interrogated by a police officer or an investigator or whatever. They have to be advised of their rights, similar to Miranda, um, by a magistrate. So by a magistrate without a police officer or a prosecutor present. I think that's pretty big. That right? is pretty big. So they're trying not to intimidate this, this child, um, you know, this hypothetical child. Um, and the, the only caveat to that is, that, you know, if this, if this child, you know, if the magistrate thinks this child is dangerous um, or think like, you know, in our hypothetical earlier, a 15-year-old, 16-year-old, who's a large person and you have like, you know, an older, more frail male or female magistrate, um, they can have a bailiff uh, or deputy or somebody present during the, um, during the magistration. uh, But that bailiff cannot have any firearm. Right. Yeah. What I found though, is again, law enforcement and the schools know this rule. They know that at the school, the child is not in custody. And so they bring him into the vice principal's office and the vice principal asks a few questions with the school resource officer standing there with a gun, yep. with the handcuffs, um, having brought the kid into the room. And that's all admissible statements. Yeah, not non-custodial. It is. And I get questions for the parents all that. We didn't even know that he was being questioned. Yep, because he's not in custody and he's being questioned by a principal. So it's considered a school employee. It's not considered law enforcement, but it's all being taken down by law enforcement and it'll all be used against the kid. Yep, that's exactly right. Because it's always better to be smarter than the 14 year old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, moving on. Yeah, Sorry. I mean, that's, that, that, that's, that, that, that's, that is... that's me. That's me complaining about. Why, when we're dealing with a kid, why not do it the right way? Why, well, why not do it the way that's prescribed for, for income? Why not do it this way every single time? Right. It, it doesn't, it, you know, there, it may add a little bit of um, coordination with a magistrate, but really like who is that worth the sacrifice on like a child's rights? Um, you know, is your little minor... Uh, inconvenience worth that. And I, you know, who right. are we trying to protect? Anyways, um, I agree that that was a, that was a grind your gears moment. Yes, it was. Yeah. My so. gears were ground. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's move on. Oh, also you may want to look at your, if you do have a custodial interrogation uh, with a juvenile um, defenders out there, you may want to look at your, the video Hopefully it's recorded. Uh, it has to be audio recorded. Hopefully it's video recorded. Um, your your officers should not be wearing firearms. That, that could potentially be a huge issue uh, for you. So, um, fifty one o uh, sorry fifty one one zero one appointment of an attorney and continuation of representation. So, defenders. Contact your courts. These are like, this is, these juvenile cases can be very good experience for you. And it could be another service that you can offer to your community. Like uh, Decker here, he gets hired on juvenile cases, doesn't take appointments, but he knows how to handle himself and what the standard is 
in a detention hearing and, and throughout the, the life of this case. Um, so start by maybe getting some appointments on these cases. If you are appointed at the initial detention, 51-101 says that your representation will continue until the case is disposed of, uh, you're relieved of duty by, you know, by the court because they've appointed another attorney uh, or the family hires an attorney. So just because you're on the initial, like a court may contact you and say, are you available for an initial detention? I get those emails and phone calls all the time. Um, and usually like the coordinator is pretty panicked because these have to happen pretty fairly quickly. Right. Yeah. The timing on these, I tell, I <laughs> yep. tell people who call them like, this is going to happen real fast, real fast compared to uh, uh, adult. adult. Yep. yep. Um, the, uh, your representation will continue a lot of times, you know, once the petition is filed, they'll reappoint you, but that doesn't, I mean, you're still, that's just kind of a formality. Like you're by the code, you are still on that case. Um, 5111, 51.11 guardian ad litem. Okay. A parent must be present. They must be present. They are required to be present at uh, the detention hearings, adjudication hearings, disposition or guardians, right? Parental guardian. If they are not, the court shall, it is not may, the court shall appoint a guardian ad litem. Oftentimes it will be the attorney that's appointed to represent the juvenile. Correct. So remember, uh, you may, there's a really good CLE by Texas Bar CLE about um, when it would, that you have to take when you're getting appointments for CPS cases. It's the attorney ad litem, guardian ad litem, uh, and then appoint, uh, attorney ad litem, guardian ad litem, and then I think it's a, representing a parent's in a CPS case. But the, the attorney ad litem and guardian ad litem are two different roles, and they can conflict, right? Because what, what attorney ad litem you're advocating, or the attorney appointed on a case, you're advocating for what your client wants. Correct. Right. Guardian ad litem is different. Right? You're advocating for the best interest That's of right. the child. That's right. Right, and and it do, it is different. They there, are different. There, there are times where the juvenile wants one thing, and as an adult, especially one that's not emotionally engaged in the outcome, just concerned about the child, you look at it and you go, "That's not going." It may work. We may even convince a court. But if I'm your guardian, I wouldn't advocate for that. Yeah, it, exactly right. And most often, um, actually, just recently on a juvenile case I had, the juvenile was in detention. Well, guess what? They wanted out of detention. Of course they did. Yeah. Who would every one of our clients wants? Get yes. me out of jail. Get me out of jail. Get me out of detention. Yes. Um, and, and so I'm before the court. I'm like, judge, we are asking the court to release us. Um, but here's the thing. Uh you know, the parents infrequently showed up. They never were in contact with juvenile probation, um, which does count against them. Um, they had criminal history. They weren't, they haven't been able to supervise this child, you know? And so uh, the, the parent was actually present. And so I asked that the child be released to the parent. And then the parent was called as a witness and the parent was asked, can you provide adequate supervision? And they said, uh, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> yep. uh, we lost that child was still detained. Anyways, yeah, it surprisingly. Right. Okay. Um, Andrew, when a juvenile has committed an offense, 
um, and the uh, police or juvenile probation or whomever has investigated it. Um, but that person, that, that juvenile was not arrested. How do they go out and arrest a juvenile? Well, they don't arrest them. They, they apprehend them. Okay. Correct. Great word. And so what is that document called? I I, I wrote it down on the itinerary. Oh, you wrote it. (laughs) It's a directive to apprehend. There we go. Instead of a warrant of arrest. That's right. That's right. So this is another one of those things that's different in the juvenile realm than in the, uh, in the adult context, but they are fairly equivalent. Um, the only thing being like the directive to apprehend, you just can't, you know, you can't, you can't appeal it. I, I imagine that there's probably, you know, you can probably test the four corners like you can on an arrest warrant, but, um, for the most part, that is going to be the document that gets them arrested, gets them detained, and then starts the process. Right. What I've actually found, though, is often if there's not an immediate apprehension, right, they don't immediately take them into custody, uh, that it'll get sent to the DA's office, and they'll be asked to appear for either an intake or something like that, that they're never really apprehend. There's never a directive to apprehend as long as the parents and the juvenile are cooperative, right? right? Because one of the things that the whole process is geared for is they understand for most kids, most children, even the ones who are in trouble, detention, especially long-term is not the best option, right? Because so you detain a kid from when he's 14 to when he's 16 uh, you know, let's just go 18 months in that time frame. They're a little older, though. They're a little smarter. But 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 they haven't dealt with how to handle what's going on yet, where yeah. if they're if they're working with a probation officer and doing doing services and the parents are doing services, often you can get that better outcome without having to lock up a kid, which is not usually what anybody wants. Yeah. Most, I think most of the, even though our juvenile facilities are kind of full to bursting, um, I think most juveniles are not detained. Um, I, I think a lot of them are just needing a little bit more structure than what their home life provides. Um, I don't know. I don't have any numbers on that off the top of my head. Um, but if any of our listeners know, please, feel free to touch base with us. Let's move on to chapter 50. Well, that was 52.015 deals with directive to directives to apprehend. Um, 52.03, and 032. These are really interesting because the juvenile code does allow for disposition of cases prior to it being filed in court, prior to like a formal um, petition being filed or, or probation or a formal disposition in court. So these are, these are flexible. These chapters include flexible ways or allows local jurisdictions to establish flexible ways to dispose of juvenile cases under certain conditions. So it may be worth it to y'all, excuse me, in your, um, in your local jurisdictions to, uh, review those, make sure your, your, uh, your programs are, are up to snuff, uh, according to the law. 53 chapter 53, of the juvenile justice code deals with deferred prosecution. So, you know, even, uh, on some really serious cases, 
you, you know, your child, the juvenile may be entitled to uh, deferred as we understand it in the adult context, meaning uh, you can come to a deferred prosecution agreement, um, you know, disposition will be held off uh, pending successful completion of the deferred. And even in situations where sex cases are concerned, and, and that may be a more formal probation type instance, but even the registration requirement uh, can be deferred. So the, the, your, your juvenile, if he's charged with um, a sexual assault of a child or sexual assault, um, does not have to register according to like what an adult would have to do. Right. Yeah. One of the things we're going to again, grind my gears when you have a 15 year old male who has, uh, a sexual encounter with a 13 year old female and a detective decides, well, I at least need to send it over to the DA because he had sex with someone under 14. Yeah, I mean that that is ridiculous, right? And and thankfully, as law, the ones I've had like that, when the DA looks at it and talks to the family, and and for the best they can tell, it was consensual, as consensual as you can be at fifteen and thirteen. They decide not to charge the fifteen-year-old, especially if it's you know kind of like I'm barely fifteen, you're almost fourteen. They don't go well by default. You're under fourteen, and we're going to charge you with. Ag sex. Yeah. So, and that's, you know, that it, it could happen the other way. Your prosecutor may say, you know, tough cookies, we're going to file that case. Um, and a lot of times too, what I find is those are, you know, the parents of the uh, female child or the younger child uh, pushing that case to be filed and, and prosecuted. Um, you know, and, and even, even when, you know, consent is not Right. It, there's just no question. It was absolutely consensual. Um, so we get into a little bit more of a confusing and uh, I guess more specific, more word specific um, section here. 53.045. That is on determinant sentencing. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of our um, a, a lot of your juvenile cases just won't even have anything to do with this. Okay. Because right. Very, very few. Yeah. Because uh, we're talking about, you know, probably those really serious cases that we're just going to send the kid to TJJD, which is a Texas juvenile justice. Do you, do you know what the name of that complex is and where it is? Why don't you share with it's us? It's the Ron Jackson complex in Brownwood, Texas. Okay. There you, have you been there? I have. Really? What's mm -hmm. it like? It looks more like camp than most of the other facilities. Oh yeah, but there so like bunkhouses and okay. It but it is still when you drive by it or you go to it, it is still obviously secured. It's it's, but it's it's a slightly warmer, friendlier place. But it's still not where I'd want to spend you know my summer. No. Yeah. Yeah. You know how? What age can you be? Uh, what's the maximum age you can be sentenced there? That I don't know. Yeah, the age of 19. So you can have children there up to 19. And again, for all you hardcore juvenile practitioners or maybe board certified in juvenile law, uh, if I have that wrong, let us know. Please tell us. We'll correct we, it in the show notes. <clears throat> we will have you on as a guest. That's not a threat. That's an opportunity. Opportunity. For you. Okay, so determinate sentencing. What in the heck does that mean? Well, that is 
um, you know, it's a hybrid system where juveniles who've been adjudicated of the most serious offenses are given a sentence, which includes a term of confinement and, and, uh, TDCJ, right. So adult prison, big boy prison, but begins in the juvenile system. Okay. So you can go, uh, I always call it TYC, which is not the right term because it was Texas youth commission was the old and former structure for it, but TJJD, the Texas juvenile justice division, um, and then be transferred to TDCJ upon your 19th birthday or whatever that, that age is. Jeez. Right. Imagine that great. I mean, some of these, remember some of these teens we've talked about it. Oh, with, with one of our guests, maybe, um, maybe Andy up in Chicago, um, or, or something along those lines where, um, you know, we can't have, you, you, you no longer in the state of, in, in the United States, uh, can have a death penalty for teenagers. Right. Right. But you can still have very lengthy sentences Correct. beginning when you're a teenager into like, you know, for 40 years or whatever, that would be a determinant sentence. Um, indeterminate sentencing. Well, okay. So determinant sentencing would be like, Hey, this person is, is going to be, um, incarcerated for 40 years. Well, indeterminate sentencing is, um, you know, determinant sentencing, it's a, it's a definite number. It's not subject to review by a parole board, but indeterminate sentencing is a prison sentence that consists of a range of years, not a fixed amount of time. All right. Crazy, right? Okay. So we're going to quickly move on from that because that's all I got on, uh, on that. But just know, hey, look, if you feel like you're a fish out of the water with juvenile stuff, kind of, you know, like, to be honest, that's how I feel a lot of the times. Um, I try to ask somebody a little bit smarter than me uh, on this or I, I jump into the code. Right. It, because I think, it, in, it, you know, and I think we're going to kind of wrap up, but <clears throat> those detention hearings, when a kid is detained when they are when they are uh, held two days two oh, days you yes. have to have a hearing yeah and then every 10 days thereafter and i've had a few judges where they look at the they look at the next 10 days and they go um 10 days from now is a friday or is a saturday or sunday we're gonna do it in and they look at they look at the court docket we're doing it in six days yeah because they do not want that kid to be detained in a lockup any longer than they have to be. And right. it's every 10 days. And yes. it's part of when I say it happens fast, because often at that point, what you're doing is you're not just doing, can they be detained, but you're also then working out what probation is going to be like and what probation is going to do. And you're really making a determination of the case unless you want it to be tried you know, yeah. uh, then and there, I mean, it becomes, it becomes very quick. Uh, and so if you're in the middle of something else, that's big, this is not where you need to try to jump in. Yeah. And you know, a lot of the uh, juvenile uh, practitioners that I have spoken with, it's more like this is, um, a service to their clients. You know, they're, they're, these children, um, I mean, if you're a child and you're committing these types of offenses, you don't have a great home life. Um, yeah, you know, most you know, like likely serious something's gone wrong. Offenses, something has gone wrong or, 
you know, maybe your, your parents could be complete angels and saints and you've got something mentally wrong with you uh, and you're just unable to function in society. And so those children really need um, some help. So, but you're right. 5401 detention hearings after your arrest or your detention, right? Be, be pursuant to that directive to apprehend, you will have you, meaning the juvenile, will have uh, an initial detention hearing within two days of detention. Very quick. Right. Very, very, very quick. Uh, and then subsequent within 10 days going forward. Um, you know, 54.042, you're the uh, pursuant to a disposition order a court can suspend a juvenile's license to drive. I mean, I remember when I was 16, I got that driver's license. There was nothing. I would have done anything to keep that license. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, now kids are like, yeah, I don't care if I drive or not. Yeah. They don't care if they, I guess, you know, it's a different, it's a, that's a different world. Or it's either that, or they don't care if they have the license, they're still going to drive. Okay. That might be true. Um, it doesn't really matter if they have a car or not. They'll find they'll find a car. I'm and about to say that's it. that's the reason why I've why I've been on a couple of cases. They yeah. didn't have a license and they didn't have a car, but they solved one of those problems. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's just like one of those things. I you know it's pretty interesting that a uh, that a court a juvenile court can order DPS to suspend a license. Um. So the rest of this, we're just going to briefly just give you like what the title is, just so you have a starting place to refer to in the code. Okay. So chapter 55, if you have a child with a mental illness, start at chapter 55, title three of the family code. Chapter 56 handles appeals. If you are handling a juvenile appeal, start at chapter 56. Chapter 57 uh, deals with victims' rights. (laughs) Don't Uh, roll your eyes. What? I mean, no, (laughs) victims have rights. Absolutely. And it's specifically within chapter 57. 58 is actually really important. It is really important. Thank you for for recognizing that. This deals with juvenile records. Okay. So how many times have you gotten called to seal a juvenile, uh, some juvenile history? I've not. Okay. I get it. I get these calls every once in a while. And some, a lot of times are just former clients who are just very interested in making sure this is not these juvenile records, depending on the type of petition and depending on the level of offense and all that kind of stuff, it should automatically be sealed. Um, you know, at when the, when the juvenile reaches a certain age, but that means that DPS, which is the, probably the largest bureaucracy in the state of Texas, and most poorly run, if I may say so myself. Um, that's right. I'm on record, Decker, saying okay. that. All right. Troopers are going to be pounded on our door next. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's depending on DPS to send those those uh, orders to the prosecutor or to a DA's office for a prosecutor to review those orders, have a judge sign them, and then send them back to DPS. Uh, you know, I send in an SR-22 on an adult client and it gets lost for 60 or 70 days. Like, it's going to be a slow process. You can file a request to kind of like move that along. You will find the procedure for that in subchapter C1 of chapter 58 in the family code. I will say though that just looking on you know looking online to find a juvenile client you cannot find them nope right so even if they're not sealed in the in the technical sense the public information available on a juvenile case is very very slim compared to if you're 17 and older yeah and even you know maybe if if you're representing a juvenile who's 
you know, done something to land in the news, maybe the news article is probably the only thing you can. Yeah, but you really can't change the news. No, no, you can't. But the reason for that is because in chapter 58, they, they have very specific rules on who can disseminate what information to what entity. Right. And most of the time, they won't even list the name of a child in a news article. Like you'll occasionally see something that says three, three, three people were arrested and they'll say arrested. Right. But uh, not name an 18 year old with a name. And then it says in two uh, 16 year olds. Yeah. And that's what it says. And so, you you know, you've really got to, you're, you're not going to find out the names of those 16 year olds. Nope. Okay. So, um, but that could be, you know, for a lot of you defenders that that could be fairly lucrative. Um, if you have a form, it's kind of like an expunction in the adult side. Um, but look at subchapter C1. So chapter 59 deals with what we call the progressive sanctions model. I don't, I don't know. I, maybe not what we call it. That's what the code calls it. Um, and if you wanted to get into that and what that's all about, chapter 59. And then obviously 60, just like in the adults, there's a, there's a uniform interstate compact so that, uh, information can be shared, shared across state lines. Yep. Um, uh, can be moved. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's, that's a lot like the adult. That's what it is. Um, you know, what's like really interesting too, is unlike the, in the adult case, um, jurisdiction over a, the adjudication of a juvenile case can be transferred from County to County, um, depending on where a child, um, <clears throat> lives when right. the adjudication comes up. So, or, or even disposition, like you can be adjudicated in one County and disposition can be transferred and you can be, you know, have disposition in an entirely different County. So if, you know, a juvenile picked up an offense in, you know, Bell County and then, but they live in Tarrant County. They can be adjudicated in Bell County and then the case can be Correct. disposed of in true. Tarrant County. That's crazy, right? Uh, does not happen in the adult context. No. Probation can transfer, but you, your, your court will have continuing jurisdiction over that case. And then 61, the rights and responsibilities of parents or other special uh, individuals. So if you have a parent calling you asking like, okay, what, what can I do in this situation or that situation? Start at chapter 61 of the family code. Right. And that's it. And so the next title is title three, a, and that deals with truancy. So if you're, if you got some truancy cases, go there. Yeah. And that becomes different. The laws changed on that yeah. years ago, et cetera. Yep. All right. Well, that is your incredibly enlightening episode quick that was quick was it quick it was Great. quick in terms of you know like what we covered it's a lot it's yes a, yes right, yes right. it was a purely fire, fire surface hydrant. level fire hydrant or or right off the top of the top yeah. of the lake however that's right know, but. and this is like what i have deemed important in the, in the juvenile code like i'm sure some other people will be like you didn't talk about you know lord knows what yes okay that's Again, all i got um so mr harris yeah. Yes. You ask me if you uh, read anything interesting recently. You know, we talk about music and books. Uh, what have you read recently that you'd want to share with the audience? I am reading and rereading uh, currently. Ego is the enemy. Um, I think it's uh, you know a lot of times uh, for us defenders, I especially um, kind of you know start start thinking I'm like you know cream of the crop around here. Right. And, uh, and I think to better serve my clients and just be a better person, um, I need to make sure I'm keeping that ego in check. So yeah. I'm reading ego is the enemy by Ryan holiday. 
Uh, right. And it's and it's enjoyable. It's got a lot of really great like history lessons in there and all that. But it's a good read. Okay. And then anything new on the music horizon? Oh man, have I listened to music in a while? Um, Need to breathe is something is a band that I think is like you know they they rock pretty hard and um and I, I just really dig them so. Need to breathe. Need to breathe. Yeah. Check them out. They're really good. Okay. Well, this has been another episode of Andrew and Andrew on Texas criminal defense, Mm -hmm. Uh, but technically not criminal because the juveniles are not criminal code. (laughs) It Um, is criminal adjacent. (laughs) It is criminally adjacent. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You can find us on the web at texascrimdefense.com. You can find us on Facebook. You can also find us on Twitter, A and A Crim def tx uh we now i think have 17 followers what i know it's crazy wow it's amazing <laughs> it's amazing all right at we, what level do we start getting paid by twitter because we just have so many uh, it's gonna take a lot 18 more. followers <laughs> it's gonna take a lot more oh. um anyway if you want to be on the show or have an idea for the show please contact us you can email us call us whatever uh thanks for listening and we will see you again soon <laughs>